Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. That's right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. Uh-uh. Sounds like I need some help. But it's not that kind of help, people. It's mental health help. If you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and you're like, I don't know what that even is. You know, it's like that tightness in your throat or maybe in your chest. Or I know for me, I get that stressed stomach ache. If you ever had one of those, then you might want to go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo today, right now. And I know you're like, I tried to call a therapist. Nobody's available. Listen, betterhelp.com forward slash Leo promises you that in the next 48 hours, they'll link you with a therapist, no matter where you are in the world. So if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and you want to find that place of serenity and calm and peace, go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. And with that, you'll enjoy 10% off your first month. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Tim Ray, who is the founder and owner of Synergy Cane 9. That's right, Synergy Cane 9. Uh, he works with dogs and he teaches you how to work with your dog too. How to, how to be a, a, a dog, a dog whisperer. Are you a dog whisperer, Tim? Yeah, I, I would I would say more like dog psychologist. You know, it's uh, I, I teach you. My tagline is "Reach your dog before you teach your dog." So I teach you how to how to understand your dog, connect with your dog before you demand and make all these expectations of them. Uh, now, before we get into all that, I, I understand that you know one. You know, obviously, you didn't always own Synergy K Nine. And right. there was some history for you of bullying. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, you know, uh, I think Synergy Canine is, is is finally my 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 culmination of my life. I found my purpose. I'm I'm on the track. But I was uh, I was born with a with a cleft lip, and um, you know it's a it's a de- it's a birth defect. And <laughs> unfortunately, the word defect really stuck with me and I'm, I'm, I've always been a, kind of a wordsmith and, and I always felt defective even as a young boy and uh, when I went to kindergarten got picked on got made fun of for the very first time in my life and, and kids called me fat lip and, and all these things because I had scars and I was still having surgeries and um, you know everybody sees your face and, and kids can be cruel you know and, and they don't necessarily mean it they don't know the damage that they're causing but uh, it lasts and uh, it lasts, lasts a long time. And that, those kind of things stick with you. So my, uh, so that kind of got me in kindergarten, I got my first dog <clears throat> and I, for whatever reason, I, I never felt comfortable coming home. I would be crying uh, and school would be rough. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, all the way, all the way really till high school. And I never really talked with my parents much about it they didn't really seem to understand. They just said, it's going to be okay. You're beautiful. And, and, you know, the things that parents say, and, uh, I just, that didn't help me. It it didn't help me cope, but, you know, I got my first dog when I was five years old and that was Casey. And I would come home and I I would hold the tears in and, and all, all the way through dinner and homework. And at night, Casey would sleep with me and I would cry myself to sleep with him. He was always there for me. He didn't judge me. He, you know, 
he he was there for me. He was that dog that that I needed at that point in my in my childhood. So, yeah. So you know, it saddens me to hear that kindergarten kids were coming at you. Sheesh, man. I, man, I thought I thought middle school was about where it kicked in, but but in man. between naps and cookies, they was coming at you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I that I the 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 boys were and uh you know i remember i remember i had had this little the first schoolyard crush and, and this girl named Kristen, and and she 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 called me fat lip you know and i was i was like heartbroken at five, five years old in kindergarten you know and and it was just uh yeah it was rough kindergarten first grade and second grade and, and first second grade uh you know and then the bullying turned a little bit more physical you know, when I tried to stand up for myself and, you know, I remember getting pushed up against the wall and, and one of the older, one of the kids in, in my class, uh, you know, I mean, he, he need me right in, right in my parts, pushed me up against the wall. And, and, uh, you know, so it was, it was, kids are cruel. And, and so I, I kind of, I always felt weak. <clears throat> uh, I always felt defective. That word birth defect really stuck with me. And I, and I, and that's, that's hard. Words have power, you know, and, and we don't know once we speak a word, uh, we can't take it back and, and it has influence. Words have power. And, and the word defect to me just, you know, and I, I, I told my, my mom, I remember I was probably seven or eight years old, I think. And, and I told her, I said, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I'd never been born. I'm, I'm defective. You know, uh, if, if we go to the store, I told her and we buy something that's defective. What do we do with it? We return it. And, and, you know, and so that was my mindset really <clears throat> growing up and all the way, all the way through high school. And it, it, it carried in through my, my early adult years, twenties. So, and even in, in my early thirties, I'm 41 now. So, and you, you know, you said that your parents, of course, saying what parents say, they, they love you. We care about you. You're beautiful. You're okay. What did you need them to say? Uh, that's a that's a good question, and it and it kind of parallels with how I am with with dogs that are, uh, you know, struggle with anxiety or fear or emotional struggles because dogs are emotional animals as well. You know what I what I think I needed was was skills and and not so much to be comforted as far as like you know my back rubbed and held and and. Um, told that it's going to be okay. Cause, cause my reality was, it's not going to be okay tomorrow. I'm going to go back and, and Sam at, in, in kindergarten, first, second grade is going to call me fat lip, you know, and he's going to push me around. That, that's, that's my reality. It's not going to be okay. So I think I needed, I needed skills. I needed, uh, guidance on, on how to cope with that. Um, how to lean into what I was afraid of, cause I was afraid to go to school. Um, you know, talking about it, helping me, maybe I was a good, right. I've always been a good writer. I enjoy writing, having me write my feelings, uh, instead of what I did was internalize a lot and held them in. And, uh, as we know, when we hold feelings in and we suppress things, it, it's going to manifest at some point later on. So, you know, maybe, maybe got me into, to some counseling, maybe, maybe found me a different school even, uh, perhaps, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, rather than just tell, and they, they didn't know what, 
what to do. They did the best they can. It was out of love. I don't hold, hold any fault for them. They love my parents love me. You know, they they know. I don't think any parent is is ready for uh, a child to, to come home and, and experience being bullied, you know, and so and what to do. But I think sitting down with them and, and asking them, like, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on? Tell us about it instead and having a having more of more of a conversation that's a little bit a little bit maybe for lack of a better term uh clinical rather than just always we we always saying it's going to be okay it's going to be okay you know and because and, i think from a parent standpoint they want it to be okay right and so a little bit of it is they're saying they're they're hoping that by telling it's going to be okay um so yeah a little bit more just more guidance and and building my confidence, finding me, you know, I did find sports finally, uh, when I was about eight years old, which helped, um, but finding, finding me good outlets, you know, so. Yeah. Way to discharge all that emotion for sure. Uh, you know, yeah. I know people talk so much about football and CTE, but on the flip side, it's like, you know, depending on the, the neighborhood and where you're growing up, that, that could save your life uh in so many ways you know giving you that emotional outlet as you shared was it football for you yeah most definitely it was it was football it was football and uh and i love football i played i played center uh and i was a skinny kid i was a small kid i played center all the way all the way up till high school when i kind of matured and i got some speed under me but uh but i was a good center i was i was quick it takes a lot of brains to be center. You you kind of the you kind of the quarterback of the offensive line, blocking schemes and everything. So uh, so I found a lot of confidence there because I found something that I was really good at, and um, and it and it gave me a focus because the type of person I've always been is is I I want to learn. If I'm going to partake in something, I dive in. I want to learn. I, I'm I'm watching NFL games, college games. I'm and I'm only watching the center and what he's doing. You know, I'm reading. I'm so I dive in. So it gave me something to focus on rather than my my fears and my insecurities and and the things that were going on uh, at school. So which that's kind of what I what I advise people to do when I'm working with dogs is get if the dog is afraid of something. Let's give them something to do constructive to build their confidence that takes them away from that, that fear, from that insecurity. I, I love that. And, you know, you brought up something earlier in terms of, you know, when you're in pain, when you're suffering um, and, you know, more specifically being bullied, the way you wanted your parents to soothe you, you, you basically, it sounds like you basically wanted them to, um, coax the sensations you were experiencing out of you more versus just telling you things were going to be okay. It's like really trying to taking time to understand how you were feeling, what the experience was and getting in, into the details of, of your emotional life. And then also specifically what was happening at school, because, uh, you know, a lot of times when we share something, we just share the tip of the iceberg at first. To see yeah. if you're even interested in what I'm saying. And then when you go, everything will be okay. Then we shut down the other 90% and, and, and move on, unfortunately. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I think, I think for parents in, in general, like it's, it's hard kids are, and when we're kids, we're learning how to express ourselves. And, and I think my parents, uh, 
yeah, I think I would have wanted them to, to coax it out of me, get it out. And that's, that's kind of the guidance that I'm talking about is, is guide, guide me through this, this experience that I'm having, guide me through these emotions so that I don't internalize it. And so that I'm not going to bed with it. Uh, th- you know, thankfully I, I had my dog there that did help me feel safe and, and did help me feel comfort. Um, but I've always found me, I've always found comfort in, in, in knowledge and using my brain and, and figuring things out. And so I think get, if I would have had the opportunity to, to get it out and learn and, and really di- deep dive on it, it would have been a little bit better because now I have an understanding and I'm processing, I'm getting it out rather than it's going to be okay. We're kind of just, we're kind of just circum circumventing it a little bit and just saying, it's going to be okay. Like whatever you're feeling, it's okay. You know, and what I was feeling is valid, but it's not okay in the sense of no one should feel like that, you know? And so my feelings were valid, but it's not okay to just go on living and feeling like that. So can you take us into what some of those emotions were? Because I, I have so many listeners who kids are being bullied or yeah. who were bullied and they still, as an adult, haven't unpacked the different emotions around it. I mean, I would imagine anger, but what other emotions were involved in that? Yeah, man, I'm, I mean, you're probably going to get me to unload here a little bit. Um you know, like I just got emotional just thinking about when I mean, you asked me that question. And so um, I think anger is a surface, a surface emotion in, in, in the same way as, as aggression is a, is a, is a smoke screen, a surface emotion for dogs. It really comes down to fear. Uh, it comes down to hurt, you know, and we're afraid of, we're afraid of getting hurt. And, and it, and it, and it hurts when, when, you know, when I go to kindergarten and, and, and I see all the other kids, all the other kids are, are playing, they're on the slide, they're running around in the, in the sandbox and all these things. And, and I kind of really don't have any friends. And, and the other kids, you know, they, when they do interact with me, it's, it's not very positive. It doesn't, as, as a child, it doesn't feel like they want to interact with me. And so it's, it's isolation. Uh, it's abandonment, which is huge. I know a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with abandonment. And I have abandonment issues going back to my first memory at three years old too. So, uh, which I can touch on, you know, so it's, it's, it's hurt, it's fear, it's abandonment, isolation, not fitting in being just being different. And, you know, as, as adults, we grow up and, and some people earlier than others, we embrace being different and, and it's okay. Like I, I'm different now and I, I, it's okay. And I, we can accept that. But as kids, there's it, it, it's hard when you when you're when you're different when you, when you can't. I couldn't choose to be different. I couldn't choose to be the same as because I I had a scar on my lip that everybody saw when they looked at me, or at least that was my perception. And uh, and so yeah, I mean a lot a lot of fear. Like I remember, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, like. Uh, I changed schools from second to third grade and, and it was, it was fear uh, going to a new school. And are these kids going to be the same as the last kids? And am I going to be included? Am I going to have friends? Like, you know, and, and I was always so nervous about meeting new people and, and are they going to ask me what happened to my lip? Cause that was, that was a bit like, 
big, big thing. And it was, it really wasn't until I was probably 33, 34 years old that I began to embrace that question and not take it as not, not automatically become defensive. And, uh, and so, because kids, what happened to your lip or, or more, more likely what they would say early on is what's wrong with your lip, you know? And, and so that feeling of being wrong, of being less than, of being defective, like, uh, God, you just, I just, I just really, really, I just really didn't like school. I mean, I, I didn't really like school until probably till, till high school. And, um, and what happened at that point in high school was, I think all of that up until that point, all of the hurt, all of the fear, all of the unexpressed emotions un, and misunderstood emotions, unacknowledged emotions built up and I became a very angry teenager and uh and I became hyper aggressive you know I became instead of very withdrawn and uh weak I learned that I, I basically flipped the script and if I feel at all threatened by anybody I'm jumping all the way ahead and uh and that was that's the outcome from you know 12 13 years I think of of being hurt, being left out, being afraid, you know, feeling weak, feeling defective. So. Yeah. I mean, all those emotions are stuff that most people, but especially men don't talk about hurt, afraid, alone, defective. Where did you feel those emotions in your body? Like when you think about where you, cause you talked about, you internalize that mm-hmm. where in your body does the pressure, the stress, the tightness, where, where do you experience those? Uh, I would say, I mean, it immediately hit, it immediately hit, hits, hits my eyes, but it, I mean, I, I, to me, it feels like it hits my eyes first. That's the first, first thing. And then it, and then it travels and it, and it gets me deep in my, in my, in my chest gut, like somewhere not high up in the chest, but kind of, kind of like, the bottom of my rib, rib cage area is where it's where it's always been where it's just it's just this just feeling and I, it's not even so much tightness it's just almost like a hollowness it's like a it's like a breathless like 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 there's I'm just there's just something there that's not right you know and it feels like a void it doesn't feel so much like like a pressure so much as just like it's like something's absent in a sense, you know, and, um, and I think, and then the, the eyes and I, 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 I cry, I cried a lot as a kid and I, I and I cry now, I crying's healthy for 16 years. I didn't cry when my dog Casey died, I shut down emotionally. And that's kind of what happened in high school too. And, and I didn't cry. I didn't shed a tear for 16 years. I bottled everything up. My, my one, the one thing I knew that was always there for me, Casey, my dog died. And, and, uh that was rough so but the eyes it, it hits me it hits me in the eyes and then it's just this feeling in in lower rib cage that's just it's just like empty you know and, and so now that you're 41 and those feelings come up how do you discharge that uh it's a good question now um i still take solace in in my dogs um I, I work out of all, I've been a bodybuilder, athlete my whole life. So I work out, but, um, most often it's, it's in the morning when I take my, take one of my dogs for a walk and we're just out there, just me and him. And it's, 
you know, that's, that's huge. And I just connect with him. He's, he's off leash. He's exploring. We're, we're connecting. I recall him. He's happy to come back to me. Like it's those moments that I'm like, I'm, I'm good. You know, like no matter, no matter what anybody else out there thinks of me, says about me, even, or even what my own head is telling me that right there is good. And, and for me, that's enough, you know, and that's why dogs have, dogs have saved me my entire life, man. Like if, if I did not have dogs in my life and be able to do what I can do with dogs, uh, I would most certainly, most certainly be dead period. So you talked about the word defective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that word and what's wrong with you and that word wrong. How have you, if you have been able to reframe it or recontextualize those two words? Yeah. Uh, so I really, I try to stay away from the words right and wrong because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a harsh judgment. It creates a black and white and, it, and it's a, it's a perspective. I mean, what I see is wrong. Someone else might see as right. And, and what is right and wrong anyway? Who are we to say what's right and wrong? You know? Uh, so I really try to stay away from the words right and wrong. And I, I'll, I'll switch and I'll use the word beneficial. So uh, I also, there's certain words I just avoid. Need, should, right, wrong, defective. You know, things can be changed. If there's one thing that I've learned throughout my life is that people can change. It's that dogs can change. Um, and animals in general can change. Everything's always changing. And so by saying we're defective, we're kind of just giving up on it. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's defective. So let's just go, let's just go get a different one. You know, no, that's, uh, no, it's, it's not defective. I was, I was born this way for a reason, you know, and I embrace that reason. It's not defective. It's everything in my life. I, I, it's a choice. I can choose this. I could choose to hang on to that word defective as I did for a better part of my life, probably 30 years, 30 plus years, maybe. Uh, or I can look at it as it's a blessing because if it were not for, uh, my experiences, if it were not for Sam and Kristen calling me fat lip early on when I was five, six, seven years old, if it was not for, uh, being left out and made fun of in, in junior high. And if it were not for all the, all the kids that came up and said, what's wrong with your lip, you know, uh, in, in that tone where they weren't really inquiring, they're, they're looking to, to make fun of. So it wasn't for all of that. I wouldn't be who I am today. And I wouldn't be doing what I do today and helping the people that I help. I, I was just at an appointment last night and it's great, great couple. They've got a couple of miniature Aussies that we're working with. And uh, we've done six, six sessions over the course of a couple months now. And as we're leaving, they said, they said, this has literally been life changing. And I was like, dang, like, you know, I'm, here I am, like, I know I'm doing good, good work with them and they're, they're doing good work with their dogs, but that's huge. And so if it wasn't for my lifetime of, of hurt and pain and, and fear and feeling defective and all these things, that event doesn't happen. I don't have that impact for those people and those, their two dogs. And um, so I look at it as a blessing. It's a gift, you know, it's a gift. Right. It was kind of like that trial by fire. Like you had to go through 
the, you know, the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, the heartbreak, the isolation, so that you could be a master, uh, you know, dog, uh, a whisperer. So you, you can reach dogs and reach people and, and connect the two. Yeah. Um, you know, but but none of that, but you're not, you don't get that comment that you get yesterday if if the other things don't happen before you, which it sucks that life has to be like that sometimes, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it sucks in, in the moment. Uh, you know, it sucks as, as, a, as a five-year-old. It sucks as a, as a 10-year-old. It sucks as a 17-year-old. It sucks as a 20-year-old. It, it, but I've hit a point in my life when things get tough, and this happened about really like three years ago for me, where, you know what? It doesn't suck because I know something good is coming. I know I, I, I have a choice. I can put this to use and, and it's going to pay off and it's going to help somebody down the road because that's what I want to do. Or I can sit in it and just complain that and, and, and the whole like, why is this happening to me again? And don't get me wrong. I'm going to keep it, keep it 1000. There's times when I'm like, God, why, why is life so difficult for me? That's human. But I don't stay there. I don't stay in that. You know, I, yeah. Why is life just so difficult? Because I got a higher purpose. <laughs> I, I, that's all I can. That's all I can assume. And maybe that's arrogant. Maybe that's. But my purpose is I want to help people and dogs live better lives together. And so if I gotta, whatever struggles come my way, I can parlay that struggle in order to serve that purpose. And so yeah. What happened at three years old? Uh, that yeah. abandonment that you referred to. Yeah, early. yeah, man. So this is this is uh, this is good. I think for for parents to maybe consider and listen to. Um, my very first memory as a child that I that I remember. Um, three years old. I'm going in for surgery at the hospital. One of the surgeries on my lips, lip to repair it. And I got my uh, I got my transformer pajamas on you know, footy pajamas. I got my sunshine care bear, sunshine bear. And, you know, my mom, we're out kind of in the, in the, in the room where like family can be and they, they're putting me on the gurney and it's time to go. And, uh, they're wheeling me back. Well, my mom can only go so far. And so they wheel me through these big double doors. This is, this is back in like 1984, 85. And so hospitals for kids weren't, what they are now now they're they're very colorful they're very inviting like this was still very sterile and white and fluorescent lights you know and uh i remember getting wheeled through these through these double doors and the doctors are around and i'm looking up because they're wheeling me backwards and i look at the doors and my mom is there and she's crying and i want her to i want i i don't want to leave her and and so that the way that my brain processed this and this is this is talking with with psychologists professionals about this and and it makes sense is I processed that as abandonment I didn't understand as a as a three-year-old child that she couldn't go with me I just processed that I'm going I'm afraid I'm going somewhere by myself my mom's crying and so my perception is she must be scared too and so I'm going somewhere that's not good and she's not coming with me and you know, so, the, so that, that, that happened, that, that memory formed. And so I didn't understand as a child, as a three-year-old, that this was just a process that she couldn't come with me, that she wanted to. 
but I, 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 I needed her there. I wanted her there. And, and so that is abandonment and uh, it's not intentional. She didn't, you know, she didn't intend that, um, you know, so for a long time, like that, that was very formative. And, uh, and, you know, it translated in, in kindergarten. First day she dropped me off at kindergarten. Guess who wasn't leaving kindergarten and going to work that day? My mom, you know, uh, that was not happening. <laughs> so, uh, no, nope, I don't want to go. I don't want to go play with paste and, and color stuff right now. Like my mom's about to leave. Like I'm going over there. So, uh, yeah, man. So that, that was, that's a, that's a strong, strong memory for me. And it, and it still is. It's still something that I can call upon and, uh, and still dissect and, and feel and explore even to this day, you know? Yeah, you know, because I read on your website, you talked about when people drop their dogs off, that the calmer they are, the calmer the dog will be. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's a testament for even humans, like when, you know, you're, when you're dropping your kids off, if you're calm, and I would imagine you would have liked for your parents to maybe explain to you what was happening or what, did, when you look back, what did you need at, at, at that stage at three years old for your mom to say or share or do to that you think may may have soothed you um i think i think yeah explain it to me the process beforehand um i you know i i give i give dogs the benefit of the doubt that when we start teaching them things and communicating with them that they that they start getting it early on and i'm gonna i'm gonna allow them to make mistakes and to show that they or to show that they are learning and i think one of the one of the things for me, and I think with kids in general, is is talk to them like they can comprehend a little bit more than maybe we think they can. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes, and and talk to them, you know, as you and I are talking a little bit, where explain and and allow them to ask questions or allow them to have that kind of perplexed look on their face as if they don't understand, and then we can explain. But you know, knowledge to me. And I tell this to, to my clients all the time. Uh, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is confidence. And so when I'm working with a dog, I want to teach the dog things and I want to educate the dog and I want to teach them about the world so they have more knowledge, so they're more confident. Um, so knowledge is confidence. And so I think my parents could have educated me more about what, listen, we're going to go to the hospital. They're going to put you on there and I can't go back with you. But you're the you know Donald you know Dr. Jasper you're he's you're in good hands I'm gonna be right there when you come out you're it's not gonna take very long and explain that process to me uh and even maybe explain like you know I know you're 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 probably going to be afraid you're gonna be scared and but I want you to know you're safe and and be be confident about it because you know and and my mom humans are humans we we we're emotional beings but sometimes we have to, uh, or it's, we don't have to, it's beneficial to put our emotions aside a little bit for that other entity, for that other, for the dog or for our children. Uh, so that, you know, we got to step up into that role sometimes and put on our confident hat. And then outside of that, we can let loose, uh, you know, so I think, yeah, educating me, explaining the process beforehand, explaining it while I'm there, you know, and holding back those tears because I'm, I'm a, I've always been a very, very intuitive person, even as a, even as a child. And so 
I could sense if she was afraid and nervous and scared, I could sense that, you know? And so, uh, you know, just explaining it ahead of time and even explaining their own fears, you know, I'm, I'm worried for you, you know, mommy loves you, but I'm, 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 I'm worried because, you know, you're going to be back there and I'm sorry that you have to go through this and, and explain their own emotions as well. That's the benefit between human, human interaction and human dogs, human, human. We all understand English. We can communicate with, with words, dogs can't, you know, so, um, we can utilize that. I think as, as parents, as humans, our interactions just in general, communicate and explain things, you know, ahead of time. So you talked about sharing your fears and I was just talking to a friend about that earlier, how, uh, in general, we're motivated by two emotions, love or fear. Mm -hmm. And early as we were starting the podcast, uh, there was a young lady who came in to help you set up. Was that your girlfriend, wife? Yeah, that's my girlfriend, Lauren. Yeah. How, you know, for you, Tim, how has it um, been for you sharing your fears with her? Do you do you find that to be easy or do you still find that to be challenging on some level? Uh, it's still challenging on some level. You know, I'm getting better at it as, as the years go by. Um, but I'm, it, it is still challenging. And it, it's something that, I, that I, I, I work at and I try to do because I want those in my life that are close to me uh, to, to understand. And, and, to, and I, know, I know as well that if, I, if I'm vulnerable and I share my fears and I'm open and honest about those things, that the relationship becomes stronger. And that there's also an understanding on both sides, particularly the other party, like Lauren's side, that if for some reason I'm, I'm acting a certain way or, or things are off, she, might, she has a, uh, a position of understanding that, you know what, some, maybe some of his fears are being triggered right now. And so she has a place to work from rather than just seeing it as uh, behavior that is, that is not desirable, right? So. Uh, yeah, really, it, it, it still is challenging. You know, it's, I think for, I think if anybody says like, oh yeah, it's no problem sharing my fears with people, uh, or, or my deepest hurts or my de deepest things, like anyone who said that's no problem, it's easy. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're naturally inclined to kind of protect ourselves. You know, that's those little soft, soft areas that are there at the, the under, underneath all the layers which we're, we're hardwired to protect those, you know? So it takes work to peel it back. And we, we have to make the choice to do it and to, to open up and be vulnerable. So. Yeah, it, it's so true that the other night, my girlfriend could tell that I was going through something and she's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. But, <laughs> but inside I was just, I was, I was in pieces. I was collapsing. Right. Uh, and I was like, and, and at the same time aware that the best thing for me to have done in that moment was to share with her yeah. that I was collapsing inside and yeah. I didn't. And I could just feel that knot growing bigger and bigger <laughs> in my stomach. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have an ulcer and cancer yeah. in about three months from yeah. not sharing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that hardwired. Like you, you immediately jumped to it. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> like it wasn't even, and you're like, as soon as you did it, yeah. But it, it were hardwired just, Boom. Yeah, I'm good. You know, so it's kind of like when people, strangers ask, Hey, how are you? Everyone says, I'm good. 
no one says, man, today's been the worst day of my life. Like that would be honest in some cases, you know, or God, you know what? I'm really just having a hard time with like, no, we're just hardwired. Just, no, I'm good. You know, we, we put up or that, just that. to say, I feel abandoned right now. I mean, no right. one in the history of ever, I don't think has ever responded. Man. I feel abandoned. <laughs> Man, I, th- I, I think as, as a society, as, as, a, as a human species, if we, if we can ever get to that point, we have evolved, I mean, at a high level. And, and it, that, that's a point where now mental health is not, is not a, a stigma. It's not a thing that people are, are afraid of. It's not a thing that people are ashamed of anymore. It's, it's just talked about like, you know, what? I, I feel really abandoned this past week. Like, and then, then it gives the other person opportunity to be human and, and like, dang, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. Like, you know, you're, you're not alone. Like there's every, a lot of people in the world feel that way or something, you know, uh, or even just say, gee, I'm really hard, sorry to hear that. That might be all someone needs to hear, you know, that might be, uh, hey, someone's, someone's, someone's sorry that I'm feeling that way. That might be enough. We don't even ever know. That might be enough to, to help that person not feel abandoned you know what i mean but man i think we evolve we we have evolved if we get to that point so we talked about you know all the different emotions that one experiences when they're being bullied and feeling bullied and then also you found sports and you found pride and confidence and playing a center at any point were there drugs or alcohol involved as as a way of coping or any type of outside substances? Um, so as, so all through high school, I didn't partake. I didn't, I'm not, I didn't smoke anything. I didn't drink. I, I think, I think I had my first drink of like Jose Cuervo gold at like 18, man. And I was like, that stuff is nasty. <laughs> you know? So, uh, I'm not, I, you know, I went to, I went to college, um, I didn't drink at all for two years in college, you know, so alcohol has never been like a big part of my life. Um, when I was 18, I did discover steroids and, um, that, that was my, my drug of choice. And because of a lifetime of feeling weak and defective, uh, that was the cure for me that I saw. Uh, it made me no longer weak. It, it cured so to speak, quote, cured quotation marks, uh, the defectiveness, you know, and I, so I was in my twenties and thirties was I built, uh, I built a body that I no longer needed to be hyper aggressive because that was defense enough. That was number one. So, and also I built a body that distracted from anybody looking potentially at my lip. And so uh, and it gave me a feeling, you know, of, of power, you know, and so, and confidence as well. But I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was pure confidence in the sense of just confidence for who I, who I am, because I, I'm me, it was confidence, uh, because of substance and because of the way that I built myself to look. And so, you know, there's a, there's a subtle difference there. Yeah, it's me, it's my body, but you know, it wasn't healthy. It definitely wasn't healthy for, for the reasons that I did. It was definitely was not healthy. Uh, and there's, there's mental health issues fall out from that. You know, aggression is real. It does shorten your fuse, you know? Um, and then there's, there's depression as well. If you come off of them, 
very, very deep depressions. I've, I've competed in bodybuilding and, uh, you know, uh, at the same time, my, my first adult life dog, Teddy, he died around the time I did a competition and I was coming off a whole lot of drugs at the time and dealing with his death. And I was in a, I was in a very, very dark place for a while. And, um, and that was actually the first time that I had cried in 16 years was, was when Teddy died. And, um, and so the combination of hormones being really messed up, my dog dying, uh, I was in a relationship that wasn't great. I was in a very, very dark place, you know? So, you know, drugs in general, just, uh, they compound things, you know, whatever drug it is, they compound things. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I, it's so funny how like alcohol and drugs, they just kind of make you more of what's already there. You know, they just multiply it. And for some reason, like, you know, I never really drank but when I did drink, I became more introverted. Like I, I, you know, I just became kind of more withdrawn and didn't want to hang out versus uh, being gregarious, loud or, or aggressive. The, um, so we talked about drugs. We talked about bodybuilding at some point. Did you seek out therapy and, and at what age did therapy come into play for you? Yeah. Um, I have always been fascinated about why I think and why I behave the way I think and behave always. I mean, um, I think my first experience with, with therapy, with psychology, with a psychologist was, was college. Um, and so, and then, I mean, since, since then, I mean, I've, I've always somewhat of a regular basis gone to a professional to, to talk and to learn, you know, my psychologist now who I've, I've known for man, I don't know, maybe seven years, eight years, maybe uh, now it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot more proactiveness where, what, where, how can, how can you become better rather than talk about you know, fixing what happened this last week or the, or processing what happened the last week or the last two weeks or whatever. Um, how can, how can we help you thrive? And, and that's, that's huge. That's a big, that's a big step. There are still times where I come in and I'm, she's like, how, so how things been? And I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> she's like, okay, what's going on. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I've always been fascinated with my own psychology, my own, emotions and so I, that, that that's that's huge advice i think for 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 people that struggle is lean into your own psychology lean into your own emotions learn about them learn learn really what 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 fear is and all the different types of fear learn what learn about attachment styles you know uh and and again knowledge is confidence and so if we know about something and we deep dive on something that, especially when it has to do with us, it has relevancy and we're more likely to, to do something with it. So yeah, I've always, always been fascinated with my psychology. And so I go to a professional to learn about me. That's how, that's really my approach to it is I'm, I go to psychologists not to necessarily, it is to express my emotions and get them out, but my primary reason is I want to learn about me. I want to learn about why I think the way I think and why I feel the way I feel and what I can do different in, in the next time that situation occurs, you know? 
that's what it's about. So. Yeah, because I would imagine you talked about how your last relationship, you know, wasn't a, a, a healthy one and yeah. it, it wasn't nourishing or beneficial in any way. And then for some people, like there's fear of jumping into another relationship. Like, am I going to make those same mistakes twice? Am I the same person? You know, uh, am I am I just picking the same person again? You know, that kind of thing. How what was your growth or intention between, you know, your last relationship and this one or, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, no, I've, I've experienced all those things and I still, I still experience there's times when I'm like, man, I'm, I'm the same person I was 10 years ago, you know? And that's not true. That's not reality. You know, just the fact that, and this, my psychologist tells me, it's just the fact that that thought enters your brain that I'm doing the same thing that I did 10 years ago, or I'm the same person means you're not, you're aware that you might be doing the same thing, which means you can choose to do differently. So it becomes, it's awareness, you know? And so like, Oh my God, I've done this before. Now you can shift gears, like, or you can keep going down that path, but either way, it's a choice and you're not the same person. You're now making a choice to do that. Right. Versus 10 years ago, maybe I, I wasn't aware. And this is what I did because of past experience. Um, so, so yeah, that, that comes into play. And, and now it's, you know, I had, uh, I had a couple of years off from, from relationships, uh, you know, not necessarily by choice. I went to prison for two years um, and um, I got out and I met Lauren and she is, uh, she's amazing. She's very understanding she's uh very level-headed and you know my my in anything i do it's it, i'm generally on or off i'm either all in with something or all out and or and so uh it's hard for me to just to stay in the middle of things i'm, I'm either way up here or way down here it, it, learning things um just doing things in general uh I'm, average is not in my in my vocabulary for me, you know? And, and so Lauren's very, very grounded and that, that helps. She, and she's very intuitive. Well, and she, she's pointed out some things to me that on why I'm doing things. And I'm like, wow, like, have, were you in my psychology session? Like, I mean, she, she, she gets it and she sees me for me and, uh, and bless her for that. I love her for that. And, and uh, yeah, so we, we have, we have our challenges like anybody does, uh, but we communicate, there's understanding there. She communicates her needs and my needs, and that's what it's about, you know? And so, and she, she lets me know when I'm messing up, you know? So there's consequences. She lets me know, Hey, this member, this is what I need. Like she gets me back on track. This is member this. I told you this, you're not doing it. That's what I need. Okay. So I can adjust, you know? And that's what it's about. Relationships are, are about learning together, you know, relationship between humans, relationship between your dog and you is a, is a, is a journey. It's learning. And so uh, you can either quit learning and, and say, you know what, there's no amount of learning that's going to help this out or, okay, this, this one's worth continuing to learn and grow and, and figure it out and learn a different way and learn a different way, you know, because otherwise, 
you just, you do, you just jump around, you jump to the next, you jump to the next and you learn for a little bit. And then when, when it gets too hard, or there's a test and you didn't, if you didn't pass the test, eh, I'll just go learn something else. You know, it's just like changing majors a hundred times in college. You're going to be in school forever, you know? So. You yeah. talked about being in prison for two years. I had a buddy yeah. who just got out of prison and he said that he had never in his life opened up to anyone the way he did uh his cellmate and you know just the uh, just telling all of his stories the emotional vulnerability um and he's like i don't know if i'm gonna find anybody in my life like that ever again was that your experience or were you you both two walls in in one cell oh man a hundred percent um and and your your friend is is i i feel the same way Prison was such a blessing for me. It was, it was peace. I mean, it was so, so peaceful. It was, it was structure. I got a, I got a firsthand, I lived structure, which dogs need structure. Dogs find peace in structure. And I found peace there and um, my mind was free, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, my, my cellmate, uh, Mikey, he's, uh, he's a little bit younger than me. But I call him my my little my little big brother because the conversations we had, he 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 would calm me down and he would speak, he would speak truth to me. You know, when I when I'd be I'd be wilding out a little bit, I'd be feeling some type of way, stressed or whatever, he'd say, listen, he would talk some some sense to me, you know, and and this is a he's 30, I think Mikey's 33, 34, and uh right now. And so God, like some of our conversation, I mean, we'd be up two, three in the morning just talking. And so, yeah, there's, I, I, I don't think I'll ever find that. I don't think you can find that uh, out here in, in the real world. I think it's a very unique brotherhood. And I was at two different locations and, and the same was true uh, at the second place. My, my, my friends there, you know, some of the conversations you have, you, you're all in the same boat. And you, you, everybody's had their own struggles and there's no judgment there. We've already been judged. <laughs> I mean, we've already been judged. <laughs> the United States of America already judged me. So, uh, yeah, the connection and, and, the, and the friendship and the loyalty and the trust that I found inside those walls is and probably forever will be unrivaled. That's crazy because, you know, then you watch a show like Oz or Orange is the New Black and it's nothing yeah. but people backstabbing, physically stabbing. Um, yeah. And so I, it sounds like either it depends on what prison you're in, what you're in for. And uh, and those sound more like anomalies than the yeah. the everyday occurrence for most inmates. Yeah, I mean it's it's not an everyday it's not an everyday thing. There's there's prisons like that that are, you know, there's different levels of prisons. So, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there there's always an undercurrent of of tension of of potential threat of potential violence, uh, always. And and so that said, that speaks even more towards. You, you find you find your brothers in there you find family in there on a on a on a level that's unrivaled you know and i i've had friends that have been in the military and and they they echo a lot of the same sentiments 
um, because you are in a, in a potentially hostile environment. You, you are, it's not a potential, you're in a hostile environment. And you, know, you have to have people there that you can trust, that you can connect with, that you know, if, if the proverbial shit hits the fan, you can rely on. And, uh, and that was Mikey a lot of times. Like I, I, there was a time and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm going after these people. And he said, listen, you're, you're getting out of here. Like, like soon you're, you're like, you, you got two years, like you do that. You're not getting out to see your dogs. Like for another two years, like they're going to add charges. He said, that said, whatever you want to do, I'll roll with you, you know? So, so that's, that's, that's love. That's brother. He, he's, he's talking sense to me, but he's also letting me know if you, if you go, I'm going to. And, and I'll take all the consequences because that's, that's who, that's what we do. And, uh, you know, and I didn't, I chose, I chose the wise decision, thankfully to, to him, because he was absolutely correct. <laughs> you know, he was speaking truth, you know, and he made me, made me see like, listen, you get back to your dog. You ain't going to be in here forever unless you choose to be. And so, uh, yeah, man, like. It, it, the, a lot of a lot of those those shows and I watched them before I went in and, and it's it's a lot sensationalized Hollywood um you can there's 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 drama in there you can get into the mix you know uh but overall I mean for for me I read two years I read 250 books um I've got a book that's partially written I mean I I just I just worked I worked on me you know I saw a psychologist in there as often as they would let me you know, and I talked with, talked with her and they, they had really, really good psychologists. Actually, I was very, very blessed there. So, um, I was just, I'm going to take this time and just learn and grow at such an exponent, exponential rate that when I come out, I am, I'm reborn. I'm, I'm a beast. I'm going, I'm going to do and, and everything that I've wanted to do and, uh, and do better in the next chapter, do better than I did in the first chapter. My my listeners would be upset if I didn't ask you what you were in for, and you don't have to respond. But if yeah. I didn't ask, they'd be like, "How could he not ask?" Yeah, no, it, it's fine. I don't mind. Um, I was in for firearms related charges, prohibited possession of firearms. So um, it was some it was some fallout from a from a relationship, and uh, it was just it was all it was the situation was bad. Going to prison was a blessing, and I knew it right from the beginning. You know, a lot of my people out here were, were hoping that I was going to be able to get out in a couple months and six months. And I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't, there's, there's some mitigating factors and just my lifetime of interaction with law enforcement and authority that didn't help my cause at all. Uh, you know, so, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a blessing, man. It was a blessing. What you said you read about 250 books in there. What yeah. is one book? that you wish you had read before you went in that you were like, if I had read this, I might not even be in here. Dang. Oof. That's a good question. I actually have a list of all the books that I've, that I've read, that I read in there. A book that I wish I'd read that might, might have changed my course. Dang. The one the one that comes to mind, there's actually two that when you when you started that question, the two that jumped to my mind 
Number one was uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, by Stephen Covey. I read it like, I don't know, I've probably read it half a dozen times. That's number one. Number two is the Quran. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tell, tell, well, for, all right, before we get into the Quran, go back yeah. to the highly effective and, and what were your, what were like one to three takeaways from the highly effective? And then let's, let's get into the Quran. Yeah. So, so the, the seven habits book is, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a timeless book for, you know, I think they've used it a lot in leadership and business courses and things like that, but um, there really are principles that are, that are timeless and, and, and how, you know, Seek first to to understand before you want to be understood. You know something like that's communication that that runs through how I approach my what I do with dogs now is I want to understand the dog first. I don't I don't need the dog to understand me. Like I want I want to show the dog that I understand them first, and then 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 I'll worry about them understanding me later on. You know, and same with with my clients because I I got to work with the humans. You know, I want to understand them and their relationship with their dog first before I need them to understand me and how I do the things I do. Um, and so, God, some of like, yeah, that book is just, it's amazing. I had the opportunity to speak to a uh, junior high class and they're actually reading the version for uh, adolescents, for kids, which is amazing. And so a lot of things I was talking about, entrepreneurship and things like that, they were they were like nodding their heads and the teacher's like, yes, yes, we're reading this, this book right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it speaks to being a little bit more selfless instead of selfish. And before I went away, I was very selfish and, um, and I have a tendency to, to, to slide back there and I, I check myself, um, you know, but it's, it's about, it's not about, it's not about me. You know, it's not about me. It's not about the things I have and, and all these things, which is what I was caught up in before. Uh, it's about how, what, 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 what am I getting, how am I going to leave this world? You know, um, one of the conversations I had with one of my friends in, when I was in prison was, you know, uh, his name was Corey, agent Corey Hall. He, uh, you know, we talked about like, what, what, how, everyone's at your funeral, right? How do they, how are they remembering you? What do you, what's on your tombstone? You know, what do you want people to be saying about you? And, and the seven habits talks about that, like your eulogy, like what, what do you want? Begin with the end in mind, you know? So instead of just living, living for the moment, living fast, hustling, doing all these things that I was doing before, begin with the end in mind. What is, what is my end goal right now? I know what my end goal is. So what I do now and what I did when I was in prison is for that goal. Man, so talk to me about the Quran. Man, the, so, uh, so Corey, my friend Corey in there, he's, he's out now. Uh, hopefully he's listening to this. Shout out, Corey. He's doing good, brother. Uh, Muslim, and, you know, he, we, we talked. We talk a lot about, and, you know, he got me reading the Quran. And, and I, so it's something that I always want to read. I've read the Bible. I've read, I, and so... I wanted, one of my goals was to read the three books of major religions, you know, uh, Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism. And the Quran, it's just a beautiful, it's, it's just a beautifully written book. It's a challenging book to read. You know, there's 
uh, you know, the version that I read, like I, I would, I would have to go through and read again and, and process. And, and it took me a long time to read, you know? And so it's a, it's a, it was a slow book for me, but it's just, it's just beautiful. And, and, and it, you know, and with, with the backdrop of, I think a lot Islam as, you know, with, with, you know, terrorism and all these things and linked to Islam and, and it's, it's very misunderstood and misportrayed a lot. And that's unfortunate because, uh, it really is a peaceful religion is in its intent. It's a beautifully written book. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the verses in there, the principles in there, uh, are, are very applicable. And I have a, I have a lot of my favorites written down and I, I read them from time to time. I can't pull any off the top of my head on the spot right now, but, um, yeah, man, like it was very eye opening to me, you know, that, and so, yeah, it's just like think they and, I, and I'm not I'm not Muslim. I'm not any denomination. You know, uh, it's strictly just to to gain an understanding of of another culture, another way of viewing things. But you know what? It's all very very similar to to what we know as Christianity. It's all very similar to what we know as Judaism. You know, uh, the principles are there and. And as I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, like I can, and I could also see how, you know, extremists could take it and spin it a certain way, you know, and just like there's extremists throughout history that have taken Christianity and spun it a certain way. And, and so, but I could see like, okay, this could be easily taken that way. Uh, but God, man, like anyone who, who has not read the Quran is listening and, and you want to read a truly beautiful piece of literature, read it just get into it, open it up and read a page, you know? Wow. Yeah. You know, you're, you're right because the, the name of the characters change, but fundamentally the principles are always the same. It, it doesn't matter whether you're reading a, a children's book, Harry Potter or Tolstoy or the Quran. It, it's, it's the fundamentally we're talking about fear, loss, abandonment, hurt, love, pride, yeah. greed, like, all, all those emotions, all those themes, it, it doesn't matter what book we pick up. So there's always something yeah. to be, something to be learned there. Um, yeah. Is there anything that any part of your story, any part of your journey that uh, we haven't discussed that you think would be a value? You know, uh, one of the questions actually is I'm asking that is at what point did you start Synergy K9? Well, how old were you? Uh, I started it when I was, uh, officially so I, I filed for the llc uh, about a year ago right now and so i mean it it's it's new it was birthed in prison i mean I, I i business planned in prison i wrote i wrote down everything i would talk to anyone who would ask me about dogs and about my business and what i want to do when i get out and um, i wrote business plans for people in there and helped them with their business plans but um yeah, man, like it was birthed in, in, in prison. And now, you know, I have, I have a few, few business mentors and, and Lauren and, and, uh, my, my good friend Celeste, you know, that a lot of people and my, my business mentor, Josh, you know, they tell me like, you've, you've really only been doing this. Like I officially launched, I would say December, 2021. And so, and I'm, I'm doing, I'm so far beyond what I, what I expected, and they're like, everyone encouraged me, like, 
look at what you've done already. I just, I, I, for Phoenix magazine, um, I got, I won the best of the Valley for 2022 for dog trainers, uh, which is amazing. And so they're like, celebrate, you know, be happy. And, and it's, it's hard for me to celebrate and to communicate that they're like, aren't you gotta be happy. And I'm like, I'm, I guess, but I lived it for two years. And so, and actually I, I think, I don't know if I just saw Lil Wayne talking about it or Kevin Gates or some, but he was talking about like, I've, I've lived everything I'm doing right now for two years in my head. And so it's, it's not super exciting, you know, like it's just, yep, I've, I've been here, I've done it now. And this is the next step. And then this is the next step. And this is the next step. And, you know, my, my ultimate goal so begin with the end in mind that's one of the principles in the seven habits my end goal is to be able to help to do what i do with dogs and people for those people that cannot uh afford and are at their their wits end with their dog and maybe have to be looking to to give it up or turn it into the shelter but to exclusively work with those uh, under my nonprofit and, and, and give and not, you know, and have Synergy Canine, you know, have, have trainers that work, that work for me, but I want to do pro bono. I want to do work with people that, that need it, want help. They want to keep their dog and they, they, they cannot afford the training. That's, that's my ultimate goal. That's my ultimate goal. You know? So I have a selfish question. Um, a few days ago, I'm walking down the street. I just, just walked out of my, my condo walking down the street and there's a guy sitting on his stoop with his dog. And he has, it's like a, I don't know, like a Doberman or it was one of the, it's not a Doberman, but it was a, it was a big dog. And immediately mm-hmm. the dog starts running after me char charging towards me. Yeah. And yeah. I stop and then the dog stops. Yeah. And then the, the owner's like, Frank, get back here. Like, he's very cool, very nonchalant. Like, I got nothing to worry about. Uh, but I'm worried, you know, because the dog sure. barking, teeth out, drooling. And, I, and it's, it's not taking his eyes off of me, you know, and it's not going back to the owner. Um, and so I start walking, and then the dog starts to charge. And so I stop, and the dog stops. Was there anything else I could have done in that situation? Or, you know, how was my response accurate? I mean, obviously I, I walked away, but in my head, like, I don't really know anything about dogs. And I was like, the, the owner seems chill, but this dog is uh, overprotective. Yeah. So, man, that's in, yeah, that, that would scare most people. Uh, you know, what you did was was good. And... And intuitively, you didn't move away. Moving away, uh, you know, either so for in that dog's case, whether he's protective or whether he's overwhelmed, hard to say. Most likely, unless he's a protection trained dog, he's probably overwhelmed. You know, he he might be a little bit insecure himself, and so there's someone he doesn't know walking by, and he becomes overwhelmed and has a reaction, which I myself can understand fully, and so. When he stopped, when you stopped, all of a sudden, like, so you move away, you're back maybe to him. And so he's encouraged. Like he, he's like, okay, now I can get him when he's not looking. It's a, it takes a little less, little, 
little less confidence to do that versus now you stop and now it's, it's more of a confrontation and he stops. So what you did was good. What I might, what me, what I'm going to do, if I could, if I read that situation, I might start slowly moving towards him because he's probably a flight animal at heart. And so me moving towards him will apply, most likely will apply pressure and he'll, he'll move away. Now, if I move forward and he moves forward, that tells me something as well. But uh, most likely, if I move forward towards him slowly, he's going to go back to his owner, you know, so. So, yeah. Be, so what does that tell you if he moves forward? Because when I took the two steps forward, he came forward. Oh, did he? So yeah. Then he, so, so he, he, might, he might be up for a little bit of a confrontation. He might be more of a fight animal. Yeah. So, yep. So he might, he's letting you know don't move you know and so dogs communicate by showing us that they're uncomfortable telling us that they're uncomfortable about bark howling all those things and then if we if we just dismiss those two things or we don't we can't read it or or whatever uh then they do something about it and the do something about it generally is uh a bite you know or they run away so um but if running away is not an option you know, then yeah, they'll bite. So you move forward, he moved forward. Now we're in this situation, like who moves forward again and too close is too close. So he's letting you know that's enough, you know? Got it. All right. Yeah. All right. So now I feel comfortable because I was like, man, did I do the right thing? And then I remember the owner being cool and I was just like, man, this guy's too cool for what his dog just did. Um, And then last selfish question, I was in Mexico and I had two pit bulls chase after me they they I was, they were behind a chain link fence yeah and they and i was walking by and then they they found an opening and popped through and i started luckily i was on a rocky i was on a beach and i was uh-huh. on a rocky peninsula so i started backing up on a rocky peninsula to where like they had uneven footing and there were waves crashing over so they couldn't yeah. charge 100 percent. right in that situation, same thing. Just I, I stayed, I, I stayed facing them, but backing up, and then they they kind of slowed down. Um, but I had to jump in the ocean and and kind Dang. of uh, yeah. Dang man, holy smoke, man! <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard it's it's hard to it's hard to tell you that what you did wasn't wasn't the best thing to do because you you didn't get bit. You you all right? Um, me. Like I'm, but this, what I do is work with difficult dogs primarily. Like it's, you know, so me, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold my ground. And, and part of it is because I know, I know that fighting is not good for survival. And so, so, unless, so if given the option, unless they, so if I just stop and I'm no longer a threat and I'm, I'm, I'm holding still fighting is not an option. It's, it's not like, it, it's an option, but it's not, it's not going to be their first option most of the time, like 99, I say 99% of the time. But if we move now, we're stimulating their drive. Like, you know, you're moving. Like, so that either stimulating their prey drive or most likely their prey drive. They want to chase dogs, chase, you know, they're predators. And so if you act like prey, you become prey. <laughs> you know, if you, if you hold your ground, they're going to now become curious about you because you're no longer prey. And once their nose starts to open up and they can get in the range and start smelling you, 
they'll lose interest and they'll be like, okay, you know, you're not a threat, you know. Tell, tell me more so, about the nose opening up. What is it? What do you mean yeah, by that? Yeah. So, so a dog, dog gets roughly 60% of their information about the world around them through their nose, their accurate information. And so when a dog's like chasing you, like, like, like those dogs were, they're not using their nose. They're going on vision. And so, uh, and that stimulates a certain drive and stimulates their prey drive or their defensive drive. Right. And so stopping mitigates that helps that come down. And once they have an opportunity to investigate you and get the full story with their nose, smell you. Now you become real and they realize you're not prey and they realize you're not a threat and everybody can go about their business. And so when I, when I go into a home uh, and there might be a, a dog that's, that's dangerous or bit pe- bitten people before, you know, I give them ample time usually in their kennel just to chill out. And then I tell the parents, I said, let, just let them out, you know, no leash, no muzzle, no nothing, just let the dog out. And I've never been bitten in an in, in, in-home consultation like that ever because I wait till the dog's calm and that gives them an opportunity to come out and use their nose first because they've already seen me for the past 15, 20, 30 minutes. So they got the vision out of it. So now that's subsided and now they come out and they're just like, Hey, who are you? They're more curious. So they want information. They're smelling me and smelling me. And then they walk away and we're cool, you know? So, but when a dog has their mouth closed, they're not smelling, you know, there's that tension. I'm not moving forward because that dog he's he's tense he's not using his primary sense to get information about me oh the mouth closed that's 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 a dangerous dog it could it could be it's 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 tension you know mouth closed versus when you know versus when they open their mouth now they're breathing better so you know uh they're closed in in a new interaction that's some tension when they, when they let it go and they open up and breathe and maybe they start smelling, you know, that's a good thing. If their mouth's closed and they're smelling, that's cool. But if their mouth's closed and they're not smelling, I'm going to, I'm just hanging out. I'm pressing pause on the whole situation until they, till they make a move either way. You know, I'm not talking to them at that point. I'm not trying to touch them. Like I'm just giving them their space. And that's what it's about is just like any relationship. I want to show the dog respect first, you know? I want to seek first to understand and then to be understood. And so you got to respect their space. But, you know, I was watching this thing on, I think it was like gorillas or apes. And they were saying, um, and it was like a group of people walking through the jungle. And they were saying that um, if you, if the, if the apes see you um, eating, then it, it calms and relaxes them. They know you're not a threat. And so I wonder if it's because, your jaws opening and closing or if you're eating then you're not then you have what you need and you're not trying to get anything else i I don't know why eating signifies a non-threat but but you also see it in movies too where like you know mafia guys be like you know come in sit down eat 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 you know they they want you to eat before they start talking business yeah man i'm I'm, it's interesting you brought that up because where i start with every Every client, every dog, no matter what the situation is, is what I call the feeding event. And, it, and I, the way that I feed is very, uh, is very specific, is very simple, but 
you know, human beings, we relate over food, like the mafia movies, you know, you and your girl, probably one of your first dates was food, right? Uh, me and Lauren, our, one of our first dates was food. And so human beings come together and relate, create relationships over food. Dogs and human beings for thousands of years have done the same. And so the way that I feed, I create a relationship with that dog over that food. And I, and I make sure that I'm feeding a dog that's very calm, that's very uh, respectful. And, and what I call, a, a mo- we share a moment of connection before I give them that food. And, um, and I don't speak during it. Uh, I don't give hand signals. It's just, uh, you know, I have videos on my YouTube with it, but it's, it's just creating a relationship. And that's, and, and I've had people, I tell people all the time, tell all my clients, if you do nothing else that I suggest other than feed the way that I am going to teach you how to feed your dog, everything will be at least 10% better period. And and lately, as, as I go, it, it actually grows to a little bit more like 20, 25% um, because you start to get a dog that's calm and respectful and we create this, this relevance between, between us. And, uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, I love feeding my dogs. It's, it's once a day where we have, a, we have this moment of connection on a very primitive, uh, ancient level, you know? So, yeah. Tim, man, I, I know you, we, this podcast has gone a little longer than expected. Sorry, I appreciate you for putting in this extra time, brother. Yeah, um, last question I ask this of all my guests, because I always imagine there's somebody listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Man, before you kill yourself, think about the possibilities that your presence in this world can bring to somebody. Think about the impact that you, you could potentially have on somebody else that, that needs your story because you didn't pull the trigger, because you didn't swallow those pills, because you didn't cut yourself. You know, uh, think, think about the, the, the impact you can have. And uh, things are bad, but you know what? Everything in life is temporary. Good times are temporary. Success is temporary. Failure is temporary unless you make it permanent, you know? And, and so for me, it was the responsibility that I, that I, the deep responsibility and loyalty that I have always felt to my dogs. That's the only thing that's ever prevented me from, uh, from pulling the trigger. That's it. And, and so, and I've been close. And so, and I'm blessed. And now I'm like, God, the impact that I'm, that I'm having now, this is what I, this is why I went through that. This is, this is my why. And so I think in simple terms, think about your why, know your why, 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 why are, why are you really wanting to, to, to kill yourself? And why, why should you live? And I think if you, if, as you think about that, before you kill yourself, there's a lot more whys to live. Find those. You might, if you can help one person that's struggling, you know, whatever your childhood experience was, your adult experience, the traumas that we've experienced, you're going to come across someone in your life that shares that, that needs to hear that someone else shared it too. So stay alive for that reason, because you might save that person. 
Tim Ray, thank you so much. Thank you so much, the listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS or any of the international phone numbers that are listed in the show notes. If you are in Austria, Australia, if, if you're in Shanghai, wherever you are in the world, Toronto, if you're in uh, Israel, Tel Aviv, there are international phone numbers. You can call, you can chat, you can text. You can go to uh, thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo for that 10% off uh, your first month of therapy. Uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you, Leo.